Hello, my name is Alex and you're listening to the Youth Employment Services Manitoba Job Pod. Welcome to this week's installment of the Job Pod. I'm Alex Neufeld, the Communications and Special Projects Manager of Youth Employment Services Manitoba. And today I'm talking to Karen Birch from Resource Assistance for Youth Inc. or Ray Inc. And we're going to talk a little bit about homelessness, employment, the way that those two things can interact and be kind of complicated. And hopefully we'll learn a bit about how to manage housing and financial insecurity, employment, and resources available in Winnipeg. Karen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Karen Birch, and I am the Director of Education and Training with Resource Assistance for Youth, or RAE. Welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about your job, what it consists of day to day? So at RAE, I oversee three of our employment and training programs. We have two level up classrooms, and both are meant to support youth with life skills and employment skills, partly in a classroom setting and then in an employment setting. So our first classroom is called Launchpad, which is about 75% life skills, 25% all of the employment skills. So this is a program geared towards youth who might be exiting care, youth who are living on their own for the first time and are looking for independent living skills to help them be more successful in work. Our second classroom is called Liftoff, which is kind of a second stage. And that's a classroom where it's about 40% life skills and 60% employment and training. And that's really geared towards people who have perhaps lived on their own for a bit. Maybe they've had a job or two, and we're trying to support with their success in employment, but also in their success with having a healthy community around them. And then I also oversee our Growing Opportunities program. And Growing Opportunities is kind of a first stage employment program where we're working with a lot of our youth who would access raised drop-in. And those youth may not be able in the current moment to commit to full-time work. And so we offer opportunities for those youth to get a taste of what work is like. We have partnerships with employers in the community where people can work shifts here and there and they do get paid for their work. But we also have opportunities for work within Ray. So helping out with some of our property, cleaning, working in our kitchen. And our Growing Opportunities Department is also able to help people obtain ID supports. And we as an agency pay for those IDs because we recognize that looking for work can be quite expensive. And we want to alleviate as many of those barriers as possible for our youth. This is obviously not your first job. Can you tell us a little bit about your first job and what skills from it you still use in your work today? Yeah, so my first job was probably when I was 12 or 13 years old. I worked with my mom, who is a speech and language pathologist, and she specialized in working with people with autism. And I worked with some of the clients that my mom had and helped them with community independence. So I would support them in some after-school programs, as well as supporting them on how to learn how to use transit and be more independent in the community to help prepare those youth for graduating high school. Uh, And this is completely relevant to what I'm doing today, because this is so much of what we're doing uh, in our day-to-day work at Ray, is supporting people with independence. Um, The difference being is we're meeting people where they're at. Um, And so... A lot of our youth are coming to us because they've recognized a need, 
rather than having people refer them to us or mandating their services, um, which is a really cool thing to be able to experience when people are recognizing those needs within themselves. Can you tell me a little bit more about what those programs look like from the perspective of clients, like what sort of steps they go through and what they can sort of expect from those programs? So at Resource Assistance for Youth, as I mentioned earlier, we are not a mandated program and we don't advertise our services to participants. Our participants connect with us via email, via staff Facebook pages, or they come to us in person during our drop-in time. And that is really the point of connection where we start to get to know our youth. In COVID, that's obviously been a bit more difficult because in-person gatherings uh, have been limited, but we still find ways to connect with folks in person. Our drop-in time is really the best opportunity for participants to start building relationships with youth. And we do it slow, and that's again to build trust, but also to slowly educate people around all of the services that we offer so that people can make an informed choice about what they want. And the other positive about that is people can choose to access more than one service at any given time. Housing is obviously a very important service that we offer. And we have five different tiers of housing supports for our youth. And the intention behind that is to be able to provide more individualized supports for participants. We really do our best within all of the services that we offer to make sure that we're not putting a person in a box. We want to be able to work with a person based on what their needs are and based on where they're at currently. We have two different types of more transitional housing supports. One is called our room program, and that is a housing support for youth who are exiting CFS care. Those youth come to us and they are referred by their CFS worker. And again, this is because it's a transitional piece into independent living. And that is a partnership that we have with Manitoba Housing. The intention there is for youth who are exiting CFS care, they get a a place to live, and then they work on goals with their case managers and eventually transition generally into either completing their grade 12, post-secondary education, employment or level up, and then finally into their own apartment or an independent living situation in the community. We also have our REST program, which is similar in some ways to our room program. The difference being you don't have to be connected to CFS. And so REST is really an opportunity for people to have a temporary suite while they're kind of picking up the pieces of the rest of their life. And the intention is that that person is not homeless and they have a place that they can stay. And our team, again, supports them with independent living goals that could include education and training and ultimately living on their own and holding their own lease, being able to manage um, their landlord and all of that stuff as well. We have our Housing First team. I mentioned a little bit about that earlier and Housing First is a national program and that is meant to work with people who are experiencing homelessness or episodically homeless periods throughout a year. A lot of the individuals who are connected with Housing First are also experiencing fairly significant mental health and or addictions challenges. And so this can be relatively difficult to support people to find or secure housing. But the team that works with them, they do intensive case management, home visits, and build relationships with the landlords to ensure the success for the participant itself. And then we also connect people with the independent housing market. And that's for people who have lived on their own before, they can manage their own lease. And we're 
basically supporting people in that case with eviction prevention. And so our case managers continue to work with participants and sometimes with landlords to navigate any challenges that are coming up and make sure that people aren't kicked out of their apartments. We can try to put those fires up beforehand and really provide that independent living education. And then the fifth kind of stage of our housing is just transitional safe suites. And this, again, is for people who are experiencing a housing crisis. Maybe they've been kicked out of their housing um, and all of a sudden they find themselves homeless. We have some, some suites that have been secured for those folks. And the intention is to get people in very quickly so that they're not on the streets. And then again, transition them into independent living or into one of our other tiers of housing supports. Thanks for providing those details. We serve a wide variety of clients, some of whom have experienced homelessness, some of whom are currently experiencing homelessness, some of whom might experience homelessness in the future, and some who have not and might not ever experience homelessness. Can you tell us a little bit about how homelessness might impact a person's ability to get a job and retain it? Absolutely. So I think the biggest piece, especially initially when people are looking for work, is Many employers require a person to have a fixed or permanent address um, in order to actually finish your paperwork and be hired. Um, And a lot of the youth that we serve at Ray are couch surfing or have more transient housing. And so securing work can be a big challenge within that. Being homeless or even episodically homeless where you may have housing here and there and then your housing falls through for whatever reason, It makes it challenging because I think everything in life is just more challenging when you don't have stable living conditions. There's a lot more that you have to think about on your day-to-day. You're thinking about how you're going to eat, where you're going to eat, where you're going to store some of your items, making sure that you have the proper hygiene for work. And if you are not living in a stable environment, you may not have access to that. And there could be some shame around that when you are going to work or approaching the idea of looking for work. And housing is quite expensive in Manitoba. The costs of housing don't reflect what people are being paid for things like social assistance or EIA. So we're definitely finding that, again, it's expensive to look for work, but it can also be expensive for people in their first couple months because your bills don't stop when you find work. And so there's often a lot of catch up that people are playing as they find their first job. I get the impression that there are a lot of people who believe that once you have a job that you will not experience housing insecurity or homelessness. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that for a lot of people, that is also just not the case. Absolutely. And even in our classroom programs and level up, we find that people's housing can fall through halfway through the program, even though they're earning income. I think the reality that we're seeing right now is It's not just financial reasons why people are losing their housing. There could be safety concerns with where they're living or the people that they're choosing to live with. Certainly expenses come in. It's often also connected with transportation and not having the same direct access to getting where people need to go. And unfortunately, our transit system can be quite confusing for people to navigate, especially when you have to take multiple transfers to get to where you need to go. And that in itself also costs a significant amount of money. Yeah, I imagine that Winnipeg just being as flat as it is and sprawled out probably creates quite a barrier to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. 
this is maybe kind of a silly question, let me know if it is, but I'm wondering if you've noticed any kind of consistency in terms of whether most of your clients need safe housing or a consistent income stream first to attain that level of greater sort of security and stability. You know, I, I think it really depends on the person. We're really lucky at Ray where we operate using a hub model. And so a lot of the essential services that a person might need if they are experiencing homelessness are offered within Ray's capacity. And it does make it a little bit easier for us to support somebody in an employment program or in employment if their housing isn't perfectly stable, because we do have a housing department that is able to support with making sure people are working on their housing goals. We have some transitional housing options for people in the interim. But I think generally speaking, it's, it's really a toss up because in order to have a job, you need to have money to pay for your rent. In order to pay for your rent, you need to have a job. And it does make it really complex, especially if you may not have ever been taught those skills Yeah. Um, in terms of budgeting, in terms of finding or advocating for yourself around best costs for rent, navigating the Royal Tenancy Branch, etc. Yeah, I'm sure for a lot of young people, some of those lessons are probably pretty difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have any general advice for youth who were previously homeless or who are currently homeless or who may be facing homelessness in their future regarding how to manage employment. Obviously, Ray provides pretty wraparound services, so that's not going to be boiled down to a quippy piece of advice. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I am curious about any sort of general tips for folks as they exit or enter or stay in those conditions. Mm -hmm. I think you know, one of, the, one of the things that we teach in our Level Up program is access to housing as well as access to employment. It also comes down to having a healthy relationship with your local community. And that's, that's something that's so important in what we teach. And so by the end of the Level Up program, we want to ensure that our youth are not only walking out with all of the skills to secure their own work in the future, but that they also have access to other resources to help them maintain a healthy community around them. And what we have found is that really helps people know who to talk to, know who to advocate to, but it also gives people some insight in terms of who you might wanna surround yourself with when you are in a period of crisis. We also ensure that as an agency, even if somebody has kind of finished accessing our services, that the door is never closed. We wanna make sure that people know that they can always come to us. And even though our services only go up to the age of 29, that doesn't mean that we're gonna turn them away if people come back. We'll have other resources for them where we try to be well-resourced with other agencies and partners in the community so that people always have access to what they need. For sure. So I'm curious for those who maybe need to know, what kind of resources are there in the city for young people who are experiencing homelessness? What kind of places should they be going to? And I'm curious if you see any gaps in the current sort of suite of organizations in the city. 
so there's a lot of agencies in the city that are very similar to Ray, where we're able to provide housing supports for youth at no cost to the youth. And I think that's a really important piece is we have staff who are experts in securing housing and supporting with the advocacy component. Resource assistance for youth, Main Street Project, Willow Place are just a few examples of different places people could go. And I think it's important to note that we are all partners with each other. There's also a lot of different funding opportunities that these agencies have so that we can support people more individually. So we have access to something called Housing First, which works specifically with youth who are experiencing homelessness or who have periods of episodic homelessness throughout a year. And it means that the supports that we can provide are more unique to what a person is experiencing. Our staffing team and staffing teams throughout all of these agencies also, I think, innately become experts in advocating with different workers and systems that a person is connected with. I think the reality is government workers can be scary because they oversee so many finances. And a majority of our youth are connected with some sort of government system, whether it's social assistance or CFS care. And so we help liaise with that and help advocate and make sure that people are receiving everything that they're eligible for, but are also given any accommodations that might be necessary because we're the ones that are building the relationships with with those youth. And we're modeling that communication so that people are building those skills that they can then advocate for themselves and for their own housing down the line. For sure. I'm also curious, I think that there's sometimes a perception that a period of homelessness is just kind of a gap in your resume or working life, but I was wondering if you could tell me about some of these skills that people tend to gain when they have gone through experiences like this, things that they can mention in a job interview and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think one of the really important things that people gain when they're going through a period of homelessness is resourcefulness. And that is so incredibly important in any type of work. You know, I work with so many people who have precarious housing, but they know exactly where to get food. They know who to talk to when they need support, when it comes to advocacy. They know all of the different laws that are connected with the Royal Tenancy Branch. And I think that a lot of those skills, fortunately or unfortunately, come to a person pretty naturally when you're going through that. But that's a huge thing. And and what we see is that supports people to be so much more successful in employment because those youth have, have had to advocate for themselves so terribly strongly. They've had to fight for food on their table and figure out where to go for it. And so what we find is some of the kind of small stressors that occur in a workday they're not as big as what some of our youth have experienced or continue to experience on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that completely makes sense. This is also maybe a kind of weird question, but do you have any tips for people who maybe their coworker might be entering a period of housing insecurity or homelessness or even bosses for ways that they can support someone from a place of employment perspective? If someone is in one of those kind of precarious places that can precede a state of poverty, what are some of the workplace interventions that can happen? Yeah, I think I think a trusting and supportive workplace should be doing everything they can to support their employees. We as an agency have supported our staffing team with a lot of different kind of barriers to success in employment and housing has been one of those things. And that's where 
we either pull resources that we already have access to, or we connect with other people that we know in the community to support. We've also had a lot of the employers that work with our level up youth support people with food when they need it. If they're hearing kind of whispers about housing, they stay connected with our team. And so the employers can also then connect with our team and say, you know, hey, I'm getting the sense that so-and-so is experiencing some challenges with their housing. And that makes our ears perk up so that we can help facilitate those changes. And that's something that I think is so important with employment agencies like Youth Employment Services and like Ray, where we can still maintain that relationship with the youth and, and oftentimes the employer as well, so that if something is beyond the capacity of the employer, we can at least still step in and support that person and provide those resources to somebody when they need it, and also educate the employer for what they're able to do. For sure. Do you have any advice specifically for employers or people who work in hiring who are either interested in hiring more people who have had a history of homelessness or people who maybe just are a little bit prejudiced against those folks? How can they work on that and, yeah, improve their hiring practices? Mm -hmm. I think that one of the really important things that I have learned as somebody who has also hired youth is getting to know a person for who they are is so very important. Building that trust right at the beginning, whether it's in the interview, sometimes even before the interview or as soon as a person is hired, that opens up so many doors for a person to be able to share what they're going through, but also share their experiences. What we've learned from hiring some of our Ray youth who have now become case managers at Ray and have had many of their own struggles that they have dealt with is that they have become assets to the agency. There are things that they see and that they're aware of in terms of the barriers that people face that some of the rest of our team might not pick up on as quickly. And it's such an essential need for a lot of agencies and and employers to be able to have people that can pinpoint that information. But I think, again, it, it comes down to trust and it comes down to not being judgmental The reality is all of us go home and we have a whole separate life that we're dealing with. We all have challenges that we're we're experiencing. And if we can have a supportive workplace where we can say, I had a really rough night, my housing is about to fall through, I need some support or I need to take a day to be able to navigate this for myself. It, It makes life so much easier for people, but it also will help create more long-standing employees at a business because they're getting that support that they need. And you had sort of alluded to the difference between homelessness and people who don't have access to safe housing. Could you elaborate a little bit on the differences between those two things? Yeah, so homelessness is defined as somebody who doesn't have permanent housing, and that's a pretty broad definition. It could mean somebody is sleeping in a bus shack or on the streets. It could mean people are sleeping in shelters. It could mean people are couch surfing. We call that homelessness or episodic homelessness if people can maintain housing and then they lose their housing. Unfortunately, though, low-income housing and housing costs that connect more directly with EIA rates, they are often very unsafe. We have a number of suites that are connected through Manitoba Housing, and we find that there are a lot of safety concerns that occur within that. 
And that can be a really big challenge for people who are already vulnerable and have already dealt with an exponential amount of trauma when then all of a sudden they go home and they don't feel safe. And that's a big thing that our housing department is working on and is advocating for is more affordable housing, but also safer housing for people where people can go home and they can feel like they can relax and they can rest and, you know, have their friends over and stuff like that. Unfortunately, that's just not the case in a lot of low-income opportunities for folks. Do you see people staying in unsafe housing situations out of concern that going through periods of episodic homelessness or taking on a more transient lifestyle might impact their employability specifically? It, it can. I think that there's a lot of factors within that. I, I think a lot of people who are experiencing, especially episodic homelessness, have a lot of other barriers that they're facing. And that would be the same as well for people who maybe have long-term living situations in more low-income or unsafe housing. And unfortunately, it's because you're exposing yourself to so many other things. And in my experience, it's really difficult to not become involved in that somehow, even innocently. And the reality is it's, it's very difficult at points to maintain employment in those situations because there's so much else going on in, in your home life. And it does really affect your ability to maintain employment. That, again, is where finding those supportive workplaces, having those safe and healthy relationships with people within your community, whether it's a paid support like a case manager or people that you've met along the way, can be so helpful because they can help with that advocacy process for what a person might need. You had mentioned in your email that you're seeing some issues with vaccine hesitancy in some of your clients and that you've seen that impact some employment situations. Did you want to maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, Yeah, this is kind of a new challenge that, that we're facing. But again, I mentioned earlier that there's a lot of fear within government and government workers. Uh, And I think that there is a systemic reason for that, which is that, unfortunately, the government holds a a person's value based on their based on their status. And the value that a person has in Manitoba, if they're connected to a system, is below the poverty line. And there are still so many controls that fall within that. And so for a lot of our youth, hearing that the province is mandating vaccines, I think, feels like a very scary thing. It's been a really big challenge for us as an agency to support and encourage people to be vaccinated. And of course, without forcing people to do so, that's not how we operate at Ray. But we really have to talk pretty firmly about the reality that people may not get hired. This is turning into kind of a social norm that you need to be vaccinated, you need to be COVID safe, etc. And we're doing everything that we can to educate people in a harm reduction way. So giving people all of the scenarios, letting people make those decisions on their own, but also encouraging people to attend any vaccine appointments or connect with our nurse, go to vaccine pop-ups, even just to participate in the event so people can understand that it's not as scary as it seems. But it's been a big challenge, especially in the last three months when more of these mandates have, have started to pop up. Yeah, I can totally imagine where that's would come from and how difficult it must be to sort of work from that position of mistrust. How do you think that government organizations or other organizations that homeless folks might have some mistrust of can mend that relationship? I think that modeling different types of advocacy is is really important. And so 
you know, an example is whenever I'm working with a participant myself and there's advocacy that I'm doing, I'm not doing it in a closed room by myself. I'm making sure that that participant is a part of the process. And that I think really helps with number one, breaking down some of the walls, showing that there's trust within some of the systems, but that there's also a support network in place for a person if they do need that support. But it is a big challenge. And I think because of the way that some of these systems operate, where it's just not as personable, and people don't get that opportunity to really build a legitimate relationship with their with their workers, it can be that much more difficult to build trust. And I think that's where social service agencies really come in and help fill in the void. But if people have been dealing with systemic poverty and have systemically been connected to those systems, it takes a lot longer, in my experience, to break down those walls because there's been so much hurt for so long from the government. Absolutely. Those were my main questions for you. Thank you for sharing your insights with us and joining us on the Job Pod. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Youth Employment Services Manitoba Job Pod. The podcast is produced by me, Alex Newfelt. Our theme music is by Nathan Crow. If you are between the ages of 16 and 29 in Manitoba, Youth Employment Services can help you find a job. You can contact us by emailing reception at yesmb.ca or you can call 204-987-8661. We also have a registration page on our website if you want to register there. Good luck finding a job and getting hired. Thanks for listening.